Welcome, welcome, Purpose Driven Podcast with Alex Cornwall. I am so excited today to be sitting down with not only an amazing man, I consider him a brother, a friend, known Daryl now for how long? Four years now, three years yeah. now, and he's an amazing dude. Um, we're here. I'm excited to hear about his story, his journey, where he's going, the clarity he's getting in his life. Um, and hopefully, you take notes. This man is amazing at sales. So, for those that want to get better in sales, take notes and and i'm just excited to have you aboard so welcome daryl thanks man how you doing I'm, welcome I'm to the good, podcast man. how how worried were you that i was going to be here at seven i mean i was a little worried i know you <laughs> you roll into the office by 12 or like 12 10 30 the earliest sometimes yeah go to lunch come back yeah you're the most relaxed man i know well, I love it, dude. Yeah, I I, I think, love your demeanor and everything. Yeah, I I think in in what we do, and I think in business in in all aspects, you know, people say they make their schedule, but do they sincerely make and own their schedule? And uh, I think that's what's wrong with people. I mean, how often do we talk about that? Yeah, that's what that's something the misconceptions of business. And don't get me wrong, you run an amazing real estate business. I mean, I've watched you grow your business and over how long has it been? Nine years you've been in the business? Yeah, this is my 10th year. 10th year. I yeah. mean, we'll get into the real estate, why you decided. But I think uh, those that, that are consistent 80% of the time in their schedule are the ones that do well. And you've created your schedule where it fits your lifestyle, which is okay. That's what business is all about. That's why you've gotten into business for yourself. Am I wrong? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, it, it comes back to that, that 80, 20 rule of 20% of my activities reflect on 80% of my results. Dude, I love and, that. and yeah, so, I mean, I'm extremely critical on my 20% and I'm clear on that. And so in being, you know, in being really clear on that, it allows me that, that flexibility that, you know, you really want and that you're able to do. And it's also the mindset behind that, the sustainability for me. So my schedule and kind of how I approach my business is the longevity of it. Mm -hmm. And that's from the moment that I got in, I looked at it and I was like, I'm going to like what I wear to work every day. I'm going to love my schedule because my activities aren't going to reflect. It's not a short burn. I'm not in a sprint in my career of looking at, um, looking at my business, like, dude, I'm going to make 4 million in four and a half years. And then I don't have to work this hard. I really look at it. Like every day is going to be enjoyable. And when I'm 85, I'll probably still be showing up to the office around 10, 10 30, <laughs> you know, in the summer, in my shorts, yep. helping people, in some facet of my business, doing something, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And that mindset with all the inconsistency in our business is my consistent mindset of just looking at it. Like this isn't, this isn't exhausting because this is what my retirement looks like. I'm living my dream. I'm living my retirement right now. And so that's one of the mindsets that like is my steady in, in my business yeah. and, and a mindset that helps me because, you know, there's so many variables and, you know, market changes all the time that it makes it easier for me. I think it's, I, I think it's that concept where, you know, most people have that, they trade time for money. And what I'm hearing from you is you really trade value, your value you bring to your customers, your clients for your compensation, for, for that income that you make. Instead of time, 
It's the value. And you understand all I got to do is bring value and you'll get paid for that value. Does that make sense? And, yeah. and, and, and you're living that and that's, that's what you're talking about. Cause I mean, schedules are important. Don't get me wrong. You have to be consistent. But as long as you're consistent, that's all that matters. So let's back up a little bit. I mean, we got right off into that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about who is Daryl Nakai. I never say your last name. I've known you for like two freaking years now. And it's Nak- like, Nakai is the Nakai, right uh, Nakai, Nakai. Yeah. I've heard it all different ways. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I never get too picky on the pronunciation. I mean, you know, Nakai is more of a Polynesian Japanese pronunciation, yeah. but it doesn't bother me. Nakai would be the correct uh, Navajo pronunciation. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you at least get one of those monikers, right? You know, people... <laughs> People never, uh, I can always tell when I'm at a new CE or somewhere else and they say my first name and then they get to the second name and you can just see them freeze. They're frozen. People are always so polite. They don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then they just butcher it. Yeah. They're like, Daryl, uh, Daryl is Daryl here. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even say it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, if we're talking about, uh, career wise, I've, you know, I've been even take us back even further, like high school and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. what what has made Daryl? I mean, I love you, man. I've known you for two years. Yeah. I consider you a brother. I, I love you. Yeah. And so it's one of those things that I love hanging out with you, your wife Ellie. It's just a fun time. Yeah. And you're the one of the things I love about you, Daryl, is you're the most easygoing man I know. Like not much gets under your skin. And that I mean, that came from your raising. So take us back even further, like you were born, you know, where you're born and, and everything. Yeah. Give us a I little mean, I'm a, synopsis of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm from Salt Lake city, um, you know, born and raised, uh, pretty much out there. And, uh, yeah, I was born to, uh, to my dad. He's from, uh, the Navajo nation Okay, and, uh, just a good guy. He was, uh, a Vietnam vet and, uh, his dad was, uh, a World War II vet, and so a big military family coming off the reservation. But you know they had um, they've lived there as as long as you can imagine. Yeah, and uh, cool history, and um, you know a, a really nice background. And he met uh, my mom, who's um, Irish Scottish yeah. uh, immigrant um, base family from Idaho, and you know they met at BYU, and you know that pretty typical. <laughs> Uh, story out in uh, the Salt Lake area. They're kind of like Salt Lake royalty in that way. And um, so I was, uh, I was raised in that um, household and being raised with uh, a biracial family and and a deaf mother, you get, um, you get communication skills and you get an awareness of uh, situational awareness that, that is pretty unique. Wait, so go back your mom. I didn't know that your mom is, is deaf. Yeah. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. hundred percent deaf, um, my whole life. Your whole uh, life. Yeah. So do you sign language and stuff? Um, we kind of have our own, our own slang in our house and, um, (laughs) what does that look like? Yeah. (laughs) I need to know that. I mean, you use gestures, but honestly, um, so my mom's amazing at reading lips. Okay. Like next level. Um, in fact, most people that have met her talk to her, they have no idea. Because she will just watch your mouth. Um, And so we were always taught to look someone in the face, which was 
pretty contrary to my dad's raising because in Navajo culture, it's impolite to look, yeah, you know, people in the face and, you know, you show respect, a lot of things like that. So there were a lot of like dichotomies in the house that were conflicting, but we were able to make our way through. So the communication skills that you get in a deaf household are really next level. In fact, we laugh because, you know, me and my sisters, we get spouses that come in and, and we just think like, read the room. You can't communicate. I mean, we sometimes don't even talk. We'll be, you know, at a restaurant and my sister will just kind of point her head or hand. And, um, I mean, I can grab the salt, catch up. I know what she wants somehow instinctively. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we make those gestures to our spouses and they'll hand us three things wrong. And we're like, dude, and they're like, you did not say a word. And we're like, I'm obviously what I'm eating, what we're doing and what, like, there is so much cues around us of how to communicate. What are you talking about? And, uh, get on my wavelength. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We're on a higher wavelength, um, how we communicate and what we do. And so, um, you know, that really, that was an interesting, that was an interesting thing to learn about in my first real relationship with Ellie. Yeah. You know, I dated a ton and then Ellie was really my first um, real relationship where I lived with someone and, and coexisted. And she came from a pretty hot blooded Latin family and they, they yell, you know, yes. and they communicate <laughs> at like a really high verbal level. And I was in a house with a father with a little bit of PTSD from Vietnam and a deaf mom. So shouting just wasn't something you did because you can yell all day, you all day at a, at a deaf mom. (laughs) It's really not going to get you anywhere. You need to slow down. You need to communicate your feelings and what you want to say. And that's how so, you have a lot of patience, I bet you, at a young oh, age. Oh, it teaches you patience right away. Yeah. It, it teaches you – it really just teaches you how to communicate your feelings at a different level than some other people may may do. Knowing you, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to stop. I see it now. Like I was like, that's where it came from. Yeah. You know, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. and so, yeah, we had, I mean, such interesting – uh, first couple of years with my wife, because I mean, she would, she would get upset and how she would communicate it is yelling and, you know, shouting and things like that. And yeah. I, I would sit there and she's like, you have no emotion. Like, do you not scream back? And I was like, I'm listening. I'm upset. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> with straight face. I'm, I'm upset. I, I'm upset. <laughs> and, uh, and she's like, you, you do not shout. And I was like, we just, we never shouted in our house. You know, yeah. that wasn't something that that was that was accepted or or really validated anything or was something that would have got us further ahead. I might need um, to go live with your mom for a couple months just to so I can learn that. So yeah. In case you would love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, not you know, that way. Not that it was some uh, you know, ideal situation because <laughs> there's obviously a whole other side to that coin. But being in in those relationships, it was interesting seeing our two households kind of combine. Yeah. And uh and Ellie just being, you know, she's so passionate in her communication and I'm really coming from a different viewpoint of like, okay, so after you're done shouting, are we going to talk? Yeah. And like, are, are we going to be solution oriented? Are we just like, is it just raw emotion? And so it was just a, a very different thing. Cause there was so much raw emotion behind what wasn't said to. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. The different communication types. Well, I mean, I think you hit a good point is body language just speak, does speak as well. And a lot yeah. of people overlook that mm-hmm. and you were able to actually see that and be able to use that. Yeah. So I, I, I don't understand that concept. 
Yeah. You know, it's hard, you know, it's a learned trait and you learned it at a young age. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that, I mean, that carried forward into my, my sales career as far as, um, you know, I would take these sales courses and they would say, you know, mirroring and matching mm-hmm. and, that's you know, huge, that's seeing, seeing someone one, right. Yeah. Seeing someone's and then tone and inflection in someone's voice and what they're saying and, and how they're communicating. And, um, you know, that, that was just always really impactful for me. And then, um, going out into the sales field and seeing other salesmen lose their composure over their, not their lack of skill, but their lack of knowledge to communicate to the client what they wanted to communicate. Cause yeah. I, I would just see a lack of communication between a, a frustrated client and a salesperson that didn't know how to bridge that gap. Yeah. And then they would be like, man, you connect with people so easy. Oh, you make people so comfortable. You're doing these. And I, I would always wonder what was missing because for a long time, you're only raised how you're raised. You only know what you know. And so there wasn't anything I could teach when I was a younger salesperson. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't yeah. socially aware. And then as I got older, I kind of got, um, a clue to that. And, you know, sales was my first job I ever had. Well, let's go into that. Like, what do you mean? Okay, your very, very first job right out of high school. Not out of high school. Oh, in high school. Yeah, not so, even high school, middle school. Okay, what was that job? So Let, let's get this, real. Let's get real. I mean, but, I, yeah. I know the story. So. Yeah. So, so this was a defining moment, I think, in in a lot of who I became and who I was, and, and a lot of self realization. So, um, a big defining moment in my life is is I'm 14, and my dad was uh, was super successful for someone coming off the reservation, making his own path, trailblazing all the things that he did. And so he put us into a position where we were around super wealthy kids in, but we, we were not super wealthy by any means. I mean, he, he put us in a position where we could see opportunity, understand that it's real. Um, it was tangible, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, we were we were a G League team being able to view LeBron play, you know, <laughs> okay. as far as the wealth in, yeah. in Sandy and Draper. And so when it came to um, school stuff, I mean, I, I would go to school and it wasn't like we were destitute or, or without for the most part. Yeah. And we were certainly given a lot more than my father had ever had in his life. So he was crushing it and what he was doing. But then, you know, I went to school and my dad's like, hey – Here's 50 bucks for school shoes. Well, I think whether you're in a bad school, good school, whatever, kids shoe game back in the 90s, that was the thing, man. Well, like, it's it's come back. Because it's, it's come back. Sneaker culture really started in the 90s where you had to have Air Maxes. You either had the full bubble or yep. you had the Jordan. <laughs> that was the newest Jordan coming out. Yep. And there was, uh, there was an Air Max... Uh, that came out that that I had to have. It wasn't and it wasn't a want. It was a have to. I I had to have that. You had to because not only you know not only did I not want um, to wear the fifty dollar pair. I didn't want to be seen wearing the fifty dollar pair more than anything. Yeah. Everybody at school had the new Jordans and they had Air Maxes, yep. and I I didn't want to be the kid without because that's just brutal, yeah. right? And so 
Um, my dad gave me 50 bucks and, and I remember going to Foot Locker and I looked and I was like, man, like, you know, all the shoes for 50 bucks, they don't have air bubbles and they sure ain't Jordans at 125, <laughs> you know? And, yep. and so I went back to my dad and I was like, dad, I, I need more than this. And he's like, he's like, $50 is so much more money than I even thought of spending on shoes when I was 14. Like, no, you're going to grow out of them. 50 bucks is what you're getting. Yeah. Find a way if you really want those shoes, he's like, you're getting name brand shoes. It's not like I'm sending you to pay less. He's like, go find a way. So I called, uh, I, I started looking. I'm like, what is a 14 year old kid? What, what possibly can I do to generate my own, my own money? So yeah. I was like, paper boys, the first thing at the time. And, uh, my buddy was a paper boy and he was kind of in the same realm as me. Like, you know, we went to this school, but you know, we didn't have the, the resources other kids had. And, I asked him, I'm like, what do you make? He tells me what he makes. I mean, it's a lot of work to be a paper boy. It, it is labor intensive and you get paid at the end of the month. I used to be one when I was 12 and 13. So, I mean, you're getting up bright and early. You're, you know, you're doing all these things, which I was willing to do Mm -hmm. because that's how important those shoes were. So I call Salt Lake Tribune Deseret News and they're like, sorry, we don't, we don't have any positions. Um, We have enough paper boys. And um, I... I ask him, I'm like, all right, well, you know, will you call me if you have an opening? You know, what opportunities do I have? And they're like, well, if you want a door knock, you can sell subscriptions for us. And that's kind of just at 14 years old, at 14 years old. And they were like, and, and I don't even know if they knew I was 14. Okay. I mean, I'm just a kid calling for a job. Yeah. The nineties. I don't know how, I, I mean, I barely filled out an application. Okay. So they're like, yeah, you come down to the corporate office in Salt Lake, you pick up a list. It'll show you who has the subscriptions, who doesn't? And then you go out, you door knock, and we only pay you off the people that sign up. And so I was like, great, you know, I'll, I'll do that. So, you know, I get a buck, I hop on, you know, UTA, I go all the <laughs> way down State Street from Sandy, I get to to Salt Lake, I go to the place, they don't ask any questions. They're like, okay, fill, fill out this uh, little sheet showing you work for us. And they hand me just a stack for Sandy. They're like, where do you live? Yeah. We'll, we'll have you around your area. So I get this uh, list and they go, okay, and here's the sale form. Here's how you sell, uh, fill it out. And they go, bring it back, you know, on Fridays and uh, we'll pay you every week of whatever you sell. And so this was like on a Thursday or a Friday and Saturday was my first day. So I get home Friday night. I show my dad and I'm really excited. My dad's like, all right, what are you going to say? And uh, my dad had been in stockbroking at the time. He was master at cold calling, things like that. Yeah. And so he's like, tell me what you're going to say. You know, what are you going to do? You know, how are you going to approach this? And I'm like, I'm going to door knock, ask if they want a newspaper. And he's like, okay, what happens when they say no? And I'm like, um, I don't, I don't know. And he's like, okay, what happens when they slam the door in your face? You know, he's asked me a few questions and I hadn't mm-hmm. even thought about it. Yeah. I'm just in my mind, I'm going to go sell some stuff. And everybody's so, going to tell and you so he yes. Didn't, yeah. He didn't give me yep. any limiting beliefs, but he did give me a little bit of reality. He's like, yeah. okay, you need to write a script. I want you to write a script of what you're going to say, and then I'll help you with it. And then I want you to practice it. And I want you to say it 20 times before you go to the first door. So I'm like, all right. So I start writing it and it's really formal. It's, it's kind of long. I hope people in sales just heard what you said. You had to write your own script. You practice your script and you repeated it 20 times before you even went and started. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. He, he's like, you need to know that before you do anything. Yeah. He's like that. And he's like, and you're probably not even going to get through the whole thing. Yep. 
And so then uh, I start doing that and he's like, you know, you're going to get a lot of no's. That's just, that's just the business. Yeah. He's like, don't let it get to you. And so I only knew what I knew. And so I'm being told you get no's and that's fine. So I write this script. It's, it's pretty formal. My dad breaks it down. He breaks down like, Hey, this is what you want to say. Get to the point and, you know, then let them know, you know, what you're, what you're doing for. Yeah. And that evolved, you know, that script evolved over time. But, you know, my first Saturday I went out and I sold 10 subscriptions. You really did 10? Yeah, that, 10. And was, how much did you get paid per prescription? So I think I made 10 or $12 at the time. And so I mean, it, it was, it, 100, it was, that's 120 bucks. Yeah. It was 120, 140, something like that in a day, yeah. you know, I'm 14. And so, um, and I got, you know, I got rude people. It's a Saturday. I get up at nine, you know, I'm excited. I'm, I'm jogging the first 10 homes. I lose some steam after some people are slamming <laughs> doors and like, no, I don't want this. And you know, those kind of things. And then I got really nice people that are like, what do you bring? And, and then you start discerning people that are wasting your time because they're just polite. Cause you're a kid at their doorstep and they think you're raising yep. money for a scout camp or something. And so I got, I got decent. I, I think the first Saturday really set a tone because, you know, I knew what I was doing and it got to the point where I could make 150, you know, bucks a week at 14. And I mean, I would just be ear to ear grin taking the the bus down to turn these tickets in. But I remember that first Saturday it was, and I really do think this is something that lives in all of us and it's like, it's a conscious thing. My first Saturday, I made almost the exact amount I needed for those Jordans. Interesting. Expand on that. I love that. So I get this job because Jordans are $125. Yep. So you that's had what, that. That's what I want. I, you had that in I your mind. I knew what I needed. Yep. You visualized it. I visualized what I needed. That first Saturday I went out, whether I knew it took 10 or not, you know, at 14, I, I just don't think... I had the capacity to be like, oh, you know, like my sales knowledge right now was nothing compared to what it was. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. It was just really fascinating when I look back, I hit the number and yeah. I don't remember the time of day I stopped. I, you know, there's a lot of things, even though it's a core memory, I remember a lot of the clients. I remember how exciting the first ticket was I filled out and I remember the 10th ticket. I don't remember a lot of the rest of it, mm -hmm. but I do remember thinking I can get my own shoes. I, I can do this. And what did that do to your confidence that even that first day? Oh, I, dude, I, you know, I, I envisioned myself having Lamborghinis at like 50, <laughs> you know, right? Like selling, you have these selling subscriptions. Yes. <laughs> like you think you have this, you have this thought that like, I can create what I want. I can do just about yeah. anything I want. And, uh, but it was interesting, you know, looking back and reflecting on that core moment, the the amount that I needed to achieve, that I knew, that I manifested, that I wanted, that I had sincere purpose behind, I created that yeah. in the first day. So I remember leaving and I went down and I remember having this moment where I was like, man, I just, I earned Jordans. Like I, I didn't need to ask my parents. And if you were to talk to my parents, I, I never asked for anything after 14. That's cool. I mean, my parents, I didn't ask them for rides because I knew how the bus system worked. I didn't ask him for money to go out. I didn't ask him for sneaker money. I never, and it wasn't that they didn't have it or that it, it was just, I was, I was content with working. 
I enjoyed having that money. I mean, I remember paying a year in advance for my first pager. <laughs> and my mom could get a hold of me. A pager with a deaf mom is like game changer because <laughs> she'll page you. And we had a little code where at a payphone I would call, she would answer and I would hang up and she'd know it's me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and so you develop this communication. And uh, but it was just the ability, and it was really just the freedom that it afforded me mm-hmm. at a, at that age. And you what I realized a is pager at 15. Yeah. <laughs> and it was mine. It was in my name. Oh my at the God. time, the, the guy came to my house, like, you know, in the newspaper, you look it up and, and there's people moving and shaking yeah. in the classifieds. He's like, I sell pagers. It's $40 a year. And I looked at it and I was like, done, you know, and they come over and they have colors and all these things. And so, yeah, I, that, that was a defining moment. And I remember understanding that I liked I liked the responsibility being on me of what I was going to make and when I was going to work because my friend was like, how much did you make that? He's my best friend from like, you know, third grade, best man at my wedding and everything. He was, he was the one that was a paper boy. And I remember he's like, how much did you make? And how long did you work? And I would tell him and he's like, man, that's pretty good. He even at one point tried to sell newspaper subscriptions and was like, dude, I, that's not for me. He's like, I'll, I'll get up at four. I'll go deliver. I'll, I'll just throw them. Yeah. And that was his personality. And, you know, there are those personalities and they have a lot of value in other aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, oh, I can, I can mentally get over door slamming, things like that. And I got better at my craft to the point where I could explain why they needed newspaper. And when they asked what I was doing, I had a clear vision of what, I was working for, I mean, and it changed over time, you know, I'd be like, oh, I'm saving for college. Oh, I'm saving for my first car. I'm doing these things. And from 14 to almost 17, I mean, I would just stay on doors and, and that was, kind you did of, it for that long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it was because I was a good student and I played three sports a year. And that was part of the job that my parents were non-negotiable about. Yeah. They were like, you go to school and you play sports. My dad was like, you got to stay in sports, keeps you out of trouble. So I played baseball, football, basketball all the way up through high school. And so I would have practice, games, you know, all these things. And that was what I loved about that is I didn't have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I could just, after practice, I could go hit 10, 12 doors and know I'd sell one or, you know, and it got to the point where I had done all of Sandy and this is something my parents never really knew is I would get lists for West Valley. I was in Leighton, Ogden, Provo. I mean, I would catch buses. You went all the way up to Ogden? I would catch, there's a bus. And at the time it was like number 30 or 40. It would go down State Street all the way to Salt Lake, wrap around, connect to Bountiful State Mm -hmm. Street and go all the way out to Ogden. And that same bus would go all the way out to Provo. And if you had time, which at 14, what am I doing on a Saturday? Riding bikes with my buddies, yeah. you know, screwing around, not really doing much. I just thought, I'll just hop on a bus. I've got this list for Layton. And, uh, you know, I'd go out to Layton. I'd find it. I'd figure out the bus that went to this neighborhood. I'd hop off. I'd knock doors, make a few tickets. And, I mean, it was such freedom of being able to go where I wanted to go. And then, you know, sometimes I'd stop and eat somewhere. I'd go to a movie by myself. I mean, there's a handful of movies that are precious to me because I remember after a July sweaty day of walking, there was one I saw at Tinseltown and Layton and it was nothing to lose. And I remember going in and it was a funny movie with Martin Lawrence. And I just went in by myself, grabbed a popcorn, took a break from my sales day, had fun, hopped on the bus, went home. My parents were like, how was work today? I was like, it was great. 
You know, they had no idea I was in Layton. They had no idea I was generating. They didn't know I went and saw a movie by myself. Like I had sincere freedom at that point in my life where I was just moving around doing what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, and, you know, you look at it and you're like, man, a 14, 15 year old kid in all these neighborhoods. I mean, there were times I was in Salt Lake City, West Valley, like really bad areas. And something I realized about, you know, crime and bad areas. I mean, I'd be in West Valley and I'd be in some of these neighborhoods, just rows of duplexes and, you know, low income yeah. housing. And people never took the time to knock doors there. They were scared and of it. I they bet were you. terrified. Yeah. And, and I would go in there and I had my little clipboard and my Jordans on and my, my I was really big at Tommy Hilfiger and Polo at the time. And <laughs> what's changed? Uh, you still no are. more Tommy, just Polo now. <laughs> and so I would, uh, I would go there and what I realized is, you know, a lot of these guys that were, you know, gangbanging or robbing, but you're doing these things. I mean, you get messed with a little bit when you're coming into some of these neighborhoods. Yeah. They'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, man, I'm just, just selling newspapers, you know, just door knock and they had a respect for what you, they'd leave you alone because yeah. I wasn't there looking for trouble. I you wasn't, hustling. I was hustling. Yeah. And there was something, you know, whether they were selling drugs and I was selling newspaper, <laughs> they're real recognized real. And they were like, he's just hustling. He's not bothering anybody. He's not, you know? And, and so, you know, it was pretty rare if I really even got messed with. I mean, unless it was like, you know, someone with some real mental issues or something, I, it was pretty safe to be doing something productive mm -hmm. anywhere you wanted. And I, I realized that, that there's not really anywhere scary. If you're doing something productive and adding value to someone, then, you know, there's, there's no real concern of, yeah. of environment around you. And yeah. so I always found that interesting. I mean, I got some, I got some really funny stories of, you know, people answering the door and, um, you know, things that uh, sure, they would say and, and react. But yeah, I always, I always enjoyed that. That was my first job and it gave me so much experience. And I went from that into a call center. You know. Call center. So at 17, you shifted because I'm assuming you, 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 you got to a point where it's like, okay, I'm ready for more. Right. Yeah. And really you kind of age out of that. Okay. You know, well, I, 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 I think that. there's, I think there's a period when you start getting older that the door to door for the newspaper kid, it, it loses its luster, you know, right around 16, 17. Yeah. And that was a lot of the ages of them, but the younger kids, Salt Lake Tribune, I think they had something down where they're like, people are willing to listen and the newspaper was pretty easy sell at the time. Yeah. Before internet, you know, was, was real big. People actually read it. You needed it. Yeah. Yeah. For the, the most people needed it. Sunday was a no brainer. And if you could squeeze the other six days in, you did well. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I went from that and it was really, I, I was just, um, at the time that was a long time to hold a gig and do something. Especially I, at that age. I just wanted something different. It, yeah. it wasn't about the money anymore. It wasn't about those things. It was really just like, I want to go do something else. And I heard that there was this um, company hiring up in Layton that did outbound sales. And they were like, well, once you do outbound for so long, then you get inbound and inbound's easy. And I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, that started that whole branch of my telemarketing career where I went into for uh, a few years. And I remember I just came from people slamming the door in my face Um you know, sitting on a bus for two hours to get to a neighborhood, to get in front of someone. And now I show up, I sit down, I put a headset on, I log in and some, someone dials for me and I just wait for people to answer. And then I talk. Yeah. And so I was like, holy cow, this is easy. Wow. And people would hang up and I'm like, man, next. I'm at my next door. 
because yeah. you know the next call would go out and you had the ability to pause calls like to write notes or just to compose yourself and i remember people would be rattled when they'd get hung up or sworn at and i remember being like man that's way worse in person like you don't even see this guy right now like <laughs> yeah and so i ended up i ended up advancing to a supervisor position pretty fast because of those things and um and those communication skills that you're receiving at home right. helped 100%. in all of that yeah i mean you you got a unique skill like to be able to be keep your composure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I can see where that really helped. Yeah. When people would door to door on the phone, when people would be losing their composure, I never, and I still don't get offended right away. That's Mm -hmm. not my, that's not my lizard brain instinct. You know, I don't clam up and think, oh my gosh, I really come from a place of like, what's wrong? You know, like how did we get to this point and how do we fix that? Yeah. You know, like, Okay, obviously, the first thing I always do is, okay, am I not communicating something? Because if you look back first, you're, some people's instinct is to be like, what is wrong with that person? Yeah. And that's that's typically not the first thing you should do. It's, okay, did I say something? Did I do something? And I would check my composure, my body language. You look, crossing in the, my arms. you look in the mirror first. You look first. in the mirror first. Yep. A really quick, did I say something? Did I do something? And especially because... I was providing a service. So I always came from a point of I'm here. I'm bothering this person right now. Yeah. And if they're bothered, we need to move past that so I can help them. Yeah. So sometimes you can get straight to helping someone and that's great. Most of the time you can't, you know, most of the time they're going to be like, why are you bothering me? What are you doing? What do you want from me? Are why you, did you, are call you me? taking, Yeah. you know, are you taking something from me? Which is, I think a normal reaction for a lot of people in their so mind, too. they woke up, they didn't expect a kid to come sell them a newspaper. They didn't expect someone to call them and sell them insurance. They didn't ask for these people to reach out and do these things. So you've got to give them patience and you've got to go, okay, what's going on? And I would say 99% of the time when people react in a light that is aggressive or something that you see that you're like, man, they're having a bad day. They probably are. Ah, that reminds me of that, you know, great mentor of mine. He always said, he's like, treat everybody as if they're having the worst day of their life. Cause you're probably right. 90% of the time you're going to be right. Yeah. And it's true yeah. because we don't know what's going on with other people. No, we, we don't know if they just got off a call, if they yep. have a bad day at work, if they're going through relationship problems, kids, sicknesses, all these yep. factors when you're in sales. You know, as salespeople were like, oh man, I got up at five. I had my miracle morning. I went in, I had my coffee. You know, I'm, I'm a super salesman of the day. People are so lucky to work with me. You get on the phone and you're like, what's that guy's problem? Don't they know who I am? You know, and you, you have this energy that you bring in. And, uh, a lot of the time I've, I've found that just coming from the place of genuine contribution, like, okay, they didn't, can I get past not objections, concerns. Yeah. You know, I've, I've never, you know, I, I've done coaching for, you know, 14 to 39, what's that, 25 years of sales coaching in some facet or another. And, you know, I have friends that make fun of me still doing not only coaching, but classes and seminars. And, and I mean, like good successful friends are like, dude, you always return to the well, like, you know what you want to hear. And it doesn't matter how many times I hear what I know. It depends on what I'm going through in my personal life when I return to hear what I need to hear. Because I can hear the same coaching three times a year and I'm going to get three different things because of what I'm going through. And so I'd always reflect that with the client. Like I'm giving the same sales pitch, 
But the same sales pitch that I give a client four quarters of the year is going to resonate different the four times. But the one time that year that they're going to sell, if I hit them that quarter right, then they're going to be accepting. Even, you know, I have clients that are like, Daryl, I don't even plan on moving anytime soon. You don't have to call me every couple months. Like, yep. I'm, I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, I don't want to waste your time. You know, I, I'm just checking in on you. Yeah. I don't even talk about when, when I contact people so often, it's transparent why. And it's so funny because they almost feel bad when you've checked up earlier than they asked or when you didn't ask them to and they need your help. Yeah. Because more times than not, just staying in front of people because we're in a contact sport. Yep. It's a contact sport. And, you know, I'll follow up with someone and I'm like, hey, I know you're not have any plans. They're like, well, actually, Daryl, it's kind of funny that you called. I was actually just thinking about you. Okay. They were thinking about me. I'd called them 50 times. Prior. They told me they don't need any help. They don't know anybody. They didn't need anything. And they knew I was going to call. They were thinking about me. Were they going to call me? No. No, they were going to wait for your call because they're because you've done it so much. I've and done you're it so, so consistent. much. Yeah. You're top of mind. Yeah. Oh, he'll call me. He'll call me. I'll, I'll wait for him to call. Yeah. I'll just wait. I'm thinking about it. And that's good service. Yeah. And it's, it's timing and it's the context because they're not going, they're not going to, even though they have this huge thing. And we've made so many efforts in our mind. They have so much going on. The fact that he, his plans have changed, that is daunting to that client. Yeah. So we think, oh my gosh, like you're going through a divorce. You have to sell your house. I've called you 50 times. Wouldn't I be your first call? Have you ever been through a divorce? Have you ever had a major life change? That realtor is such a small piece of what I have to do. And it's, you know, my emotional health, my physical health, my kids, my wife, this house, you know, all these things. And it's like, you wanted me to call you. Yeah. You thought you were an important part of this because that's your job. Like I have an attorney, I have a count on the list. You're last dude. And honestly, you called me 50 times. If you didn't call me when I had to do it, I was just going to call someone and probably hire them. You're the emotional side of it. I have to sell my house Yes. All this. Yes. So it's more emotional than anything. Yeah. And so, so when they're like, I was thinking about you, that's a compliment. Yeah, it really is. When they expect your call, that's a compliment. That means you're doing your job. Yes. So, and so, I love that. yeah. And so I, I think one of the most important things we can do is remove our emotions or projections off of, off of our clients, off of people that we're trying to help. You can't sincerely help someone unless you're as objective as you need to be, but not so objective that you're not empathetic. Well, and that's something that I have to work on personally too, is like, stop taking on other people's emotions, especially in my coaching that I do and, and, and real estate and other, other, you know, aspects of life. Don't take on other people's emotions. You've already got your own to deal yeah. with. And so like, take the emotions out, empathize with them. Empathy, yeah. empathy, empathize, be there, understand, listen. I think communication is 80% listening more than anything. In my eyes, I mean, the more you listen, the more genuine you are asking questions, the more you can empathize with somebody. Yeah. So I, I agree. So, well, let's go back a little. I mean, so after the call center, after high school, college, so, I so mean, I was, so I was working in sales, you know, call centers, things like that. And then, uh, my uncle, um, was Larry's, uh, first car salesman, Larry H. Miller. Okay. When Larry started a little trailer in Salt Lake City, my uncle started it with him and he sold his first truck and my uncle, you know, helped Larry grow this, this big business. And my uncle was always really humble about it. We didn't really figure that out until he passed away and Larry came to his funeral 
And, and you're like, wait a second. And Larry's like, we were thinking of going out of business, me and my wife, Gail. We had our trailer and Evan came in and said, I just sold a car. Are we staying open? And he's like, I looked at my wife and I was like, okay, we're in the car business. And they wow. have a picture of my uncle and this little family and this little Toyota truck in all the dealerships. And it was the first car sold. And so I grew up and I loved my uncle. He would go to jazz games. Um, he'd pay me to babysit. He, he just was a really cool, easygoing guy. Yeah. I mean, just, just one of my favorite people in the world. And, uh, I told him, I was like, I'm going to come sell cars for you when I turn 18. And he's like, all right. And I mean, you know, that was when I was like 15, 16 and I'd see him at Christmas and I'd be like, I'm gonna come sell cars for you when I'm 18. And he's like, all right. He's like, you sure you don't want to go to college? And I was like, uh, school's great and all, but I want, I want to be in front of people. And he was one of the people in my life that was like, you can make a lot of money in sales because, you know, he didn't go that traditional route. You know, mm -hmm. if you know the Larry H. Miller group now, they're massive billions, you know, yeah. they just sold their, their ownership in the jazz. They have, you know, this huge thing. He was able to witness someone creating a vision and a dream. And so, um, having him in my life was a really good thing because he was someone that when I was like, Hey, I'm going to come work for you. Hey, I'm going to sell it wasn't the normal reaction because when you're 15, 16, those kind of things, you're starting to develop who you are, whether people want to accept that mm -hmm. or not. You know, you're you're starting to, especially I was developing what I wanted to do and the freedoms that I wanted to have. I was a little further along, I think, than some kids. Yeah. And my parents were college educated. My sisters were all going to BYU. And I just, that wasn't really the direction that like my heart wasn't in that. I knew well, I could do that. Do you think it was because of the success you already saw at a, at a young age at sales? Yeah. I think it was the balance of the fact that when I was in school, I was doing what they were told. I had to be there when they said I had to do all these things. And then I was like, man, when I get out, I loved sports and I loved Jordans. I love Jordans. <laughs> and I loved I loved the fact that I could go work when I wanted mm -hmm. and make money and have that freedom. At the time I didn't realize what I was what I was trading was, you know, my talents for freedom. Yep. You know, I didn't get that till way, way further along. But having someone that confirms how you feel was really what made him a great mentor yeah. for me is because he listened a lot better than other adults. Like, you know, you have your parents or people at school and things, and you're like, man, like, I think I'm going to go sell cars when I'm 18. That's not sexy. That's not glorious. That's no. not, you know, there's there's car salesmen that make hundreds of thousands of dollars, and people still be like, eh, but you're a car salesman. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not like, oh, do you enjoy being in front? Like, they don't ask the deeper questions. My guidance counselors in high school are never like, why do you like sales? They, they just didn't have a skill set. They were like, do you want to be an attorney? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to, you know, do you want to go be an accountant? Like, what are you going to go to college for? And I was like, I don't know if I want to go to college. And, you know, my parents are like, man, you should go into medical. You know, you should do these things. And and I did go um, for some medical training, things like that later. But my uncle was always a defining person. So <clears throat> I turn 18 and uh, he gets stung in the neck by a bee, gone. By a bee? By a bee, allergic, heart attack, up at his cabin, gone. Like, oh my gosh. I'm, I may be 18 for a couple weeks getting ready to go work for him. And so, that was like, that was, a, that's a, that's hard for you. I had, I had lunch with him at this Mongolian barbecue place in Murray 
the week before. We went out and I had told him, he's like, yeah, he's like, man, you know, you've always done what you said you're going to do. I'm excited for you to, you know, work in the car business. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do well. And I'm excited to come work for you. And he's like, he's like, we'll start at this other dealership Then I'm going to bring you up over by me. And so I was, uh, I was planning on doing that. Then, you know, he passes away and, you know, my aunt's like, man, he really, he was excited for you. He was, he really enjoyed that lunch, which, you know lifted me for, for a lot of years. Just yeah. like, man, so many people in my family didn't get to see him. I got to see him the Friday before he passed and have lunch with him. And I remember being at lunch with him and I knew I, kn- I didn't want to go on a mission for a myriad of reasons, but that wasn't my path. And I remember being there at 18 and I was like, I was like, Hey, like I've always been able to talk to you. You've been a great mentor. And, you know, I didn't say mentor at the time. I think I said friend or something like that. And, you know, I didn't realize how important he was to me or what he was helping uh, shape, but he had gone on a mission and I was like, I, I really don't want to go on a mission. And he's like, so don't go. Yeah. And I was like, well, it's not that easy. You know, my, my parents have huge expectations. I'm their only son. Um, you know, my community, you know, I was raised in this community where every one of my friends was going to go, except for my best friend that was a paper kid. <laughs> Me and him were, the, I think, the only two in our neighborhood that didn't go. But, you know, you're raised in this community. You're told what you're going to do, what they expect of you, what you're supposed to do, and all these things. And that was another reason why he was such a great mentor to me was, you know, he's like, don't, then don't go. And yeah. he, he didn't expand on it. He didn't say anything. He's like, if you don't want to go, then don't go. And he's like, your parents will understand. People will still love you. And I remember just thinking like, wow, like here's someone I care about. Yep. Here's someone's opinion that really matters to me. And he just, he listened to me. He listened to me and he confirmed how I felt. And I feel good yeah. about that. That's awesome. Do you know what I mean? No, I know and, exactly what you mean. And so I never, I never regretted not going after that. That's I, awesome. I was clear and concise because I had a good person that loved me enough to give me the advice that he cared about me enough to say, you're smart enough. This isn't going to be the end of the world and you can face that pressure and you're going to be fine. Yeah. And, uh, it was really cool. So after that, um, I went and I went and sold cars, you know, I didn't change my, my vision or anything. It was, it was a really hard transition because, you know, I think me, me and my wife always, you know, expectation is the killer of happiness. Wait, say that one more time. Expectation is the killer of happiness. Expand on that. I love that by the way. So I think sometimes we just get this vision in our head, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and it's similar to fear. You know, you, you have this vision and you're like, man, I'm going to have all of these things happen and then I'll be happy. And you expect it to happen. Oh, you expect it. Yeah. You have Th- this to, yeah. is different from manifestation. Yep. Right. It's expe- this is, expectations. It's an expectation and an expectation I think is something you feel you deserve, but don't have to put the work in. I think there's good expectations of bad. Yeah. I mean, I expect my kids you know, to do their stuff and, 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 and you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I expect some things in my life, but bad expectations. I expect me to be here at this time, you know, at this part of my life. Well, nine times out of 10, it's not going to happen. So that regret hits in and stuff. Yeah. So you got to be really careful with expectations. 
Yes. I believe. Yeah, you do. And and I realized that at that age because my expectation was I was going to go work for my uncle. I was going to make all this money and I was going to have a little bit easier route to move up that Because that of your uncle. Because of my uncle. Yeah. You know, I, I deserve it. You expect it. I expect it. You know, I'm I'm going to be able to to make more money to do some things, and so I'm I'm working at a car lot, and then I realize, man, I'm just I'm just a salesman. I don't have an uncle that's you know ranking. You're by yourself, and and my expectations changed, and I really looked at things where I was like, I knew I was going to be a great salesman. I knew I was going to overcome things, but my expectation of the vision that I thought how things were going to play out changed a lot. And, you know, like I say, you know, if you have those expectations, you're really kind of setting yourself up for, for a little bit of disappointment where you're like, man, that didn't go how I thought it was. And it's not the same as failure. Yep. Failure is okay. Failure doesn't bother you. Failure. You can work around. I, I was working and the year I'm 18, the twin towers get hit. People quit buying cars. I had my first apartment. Didn't have a car yet because I didn't want the responsibility, even though I sold them. <laughs> I just got an apartment <laughs> around the corner from the dealership. I would take the bus in, loved it. And I remember having things out of my control. And that was, I would say that's another defining moment when I learned sales aren't promised. Sales aren't, volume isn't always in your control. I know you can make as many contacts, you can do these things, you know, there's, but there's always going to be variables that you don't control. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that won't love that. I mean, but, look at the real estate market right now. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, don't get me wrong. You still make money. You still do well. Stuff is still selling. But it, there's variables that have impacted our career, making it so your output has to become more to make the same amount we did a year and a half ago. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I agree with that. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sitting there on the car lot and, you know, I'm with, I'm with a lot of, uh, highly unsuccessful people too, mm-hmm. you know, at, at that car lot. And, you know, I think, um, hearing some of those fears and things, you know, luckily I was young and kind of stupidly optimistic. Cause they're like, man, we may never sell another car again. This dealership may close, you know, cause you go from all these cars pouring or all these people pouring in to buy cars to a lot of people thought the world was going to end. You know, these towers get blown up. They're like, I'm not buying cars. I'm not buying homes. I'm not buying anything. I need to get my food, my guns and my bunker. You know, they yep. have these, it was a really weird time. And so cars just quit pouring in. And I remember going into a sales office and I just cracked a phone book and I just started calling people and asking if they needed help. I didn't sell any cars that way, but I will tell you, and a lot of the other salesmen were laughing. They're like, dude, he just, did he really just grab a phone book? And it was because, you know, I'd seen, I'd seen movies and sales things and they were like, dude, if you have no pipeline, go grab a phone book and just call people. And that's all they had at the time. There wasn't internet and all these things (laughs) going on. So I grabbed and I just started calling and it lasted about two to three weeks, that really gnarly period. And I saw so many people leave and new salesmen come and people were moving dealerships and there was this mass panic for like two to three weeks. And I remember just going in, hopping on the phone. I felt I was productive and that was the best thing for my mental health as I wasn't sitting at the front of the lot with There's- everyone while they're... You know, just hanging out, 
BSing, chewing fat, and just going, man, this sucks, man, this is bad, man, when are people going to come in and buy a car for me? I was in there and I was on the phone and I was just talking to people and I'd have interesting conversations and, you know, people were like, man, I've never had a car salesman call me and it would crack me up. You know, they're just like, I was just staying busy. <laughs> and then I remember I'd jump on the bus, go to my apartment and I didn't feel I wasted the day because yeah. I, I had, a, I had plenty of those days where I was sitting around those guys. And I, I remember being like, oh my gosh, I'd been in call centers where I saw the toxicity of non-production. Yep. I'd been you know, just around people enough where I was like, man, if you are negative, it's so weird how negative echoes, you know, two to three times as loud as positive. You can be like, man, I just had the month of my life. And your friends are like, cool. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I just had the worst month in the business. People are like, tell me what? Um, Are you okay? Yeah. Are you okay? Can I help? You know, and I, I don't know if it's like our lizard brain that wants to help people in distress, but negative always seems to echo louder. And I, I kind of realized that and so i was just like man i need to i need to shift my space into a more positive space and i've always tried to do that just because negativity is easy mm-hmm. it's, it's really easy. it's 100 percent. yeah and it it it's compound interest shows up a lot faster yep. i think you said something really important too is like in that three-week period people were making lifelong decisions on temporary situations right and like they were getting out, getting out of the business, like, oh no, you know, shit hit the fan. We got to do this and this and this. When in all reality, if they just wait it out and be proactive, do something to stay productive, like, like you did. Yeah. It's a temporary situation. Everything in life is a temporary situation. If we treat it as such. Yeah. You know, that does not going to determine the outcome unless we let it. No. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think that's an important aspect of that. That's cool that you you had that intuition to go, you know what? Great. Not doing anything. This isn't, this isn't serving me well being negative. So I'm just going to go talk to people. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going back to my apartment after some of the negative days of just sitting on the lot. And that was the longest day I would have. Then I'd get to my apartment and I would think, what, what the heck did I just do with my time? Yeah. And then, well, that didn't, make any money. So I haven't solved any problems and having my first apartment was stressful at 18. Right. And, and I'm like, man, like I need to, I need to figure like, I got to do something different if I want to be different. And you know, my independence is relying on this job and not that I didn't have thoughts that creep in that I was like, man, should I do something else? Do I need to do this? Do I need to do that? But I remember thinking I got this apartment close to this job. I've structured this. Like I have to make this work. Yeah. And, uh, the first car I sold after that was to a Utah stars, uh, player, this, uh, WNBA player. And that was when I was shocked at how much they make. Cause I, you know, in my mind, I think athletes make all this money. And back then WNBA made even less, and, <laughs> but she still bought a really nice car and she was one of the nicest people I've ever met. And, yeah. Um, but I, I sold her, um, a car. And I remember after that, she referred tons of people from and and just the organization other people like started coming in and you know um just had a great experience with her and a big part of that was the service that we were able to give her and and it meant a lot to me on that transaction because she bought this explorer and it was a nice decked out explorer she goes to drive it back home to virginia or pennsylvania and she gets to like Colorado and the engine blew up. And a brand new. Brand, brand, brand new. 
Oh, dang. So she calls me and she's like, Daryl, this engine blew up. And I'm like, man, I'm like, well, that's, that's not right. It's brand new. It's got to be under a warranty. You know, we got to do something. She's like, yeah, I'm really bummed. And I'm like, well, rent a car and I'll tell my GM to just, just figure it out. Or do you want to fly home? And she's like, honestly, I just want to come back and get another car. I need a car while I'm out there. And I was like, all right, well, we'll, obviously it needs to be towed back and we'll figure it out. So I went to my general manager and he's like, you know, he was, you know, he was, he was who he was at the time. And and he's like, well, we can replace it, but you know, that's about it. And I was like, she's, she's a kind of a celebrity in the area. She's important. Yeah. You know, um, I was like, I, I just feel like I want to do something more for her. Like she's lost two days, Yeah, you know, and, and this is off season. Like, and he's like, why are you so concerned? And I was like, I'm just grateful that she bought a car for me because I was sitting there for three weeks calling people. And he's like, yeah, all right. He's like, well, I'll ask, you know, this guy that's above me if there's anything we want to do. And then he comes back and, and he, you know, made this appearance like, Hey, we're going to take care of this lady. We're doing the right thing. This is our group. This is who we are. I mean, she was an employee for the company I was working for too. Yeah. You know, they owned the WNBA team and, so anyway, they end up upgrading her to this Eddie Bauer edition. We surprise her when she gets there. It's, yeah. it's an even nicer Explorer oh, that's decked cool. out. And she's like, oh my gosh. And so my general manager comes down. He's like, I made a bunch of calls. I did. Da, da, da. She saw right through it. Did she really? Yeah. She's like, oh, thanks. Then went over to me and was like, Daryl, thank you so much. Like, you've been so helpful. You keep calling me, checking out. Like, there was a genuineness in a relationship that we had that even though he... His his goal was to just be the shining bright guy, which he got to be in the organization wise. Yeah, and I didn't care about that. Take the credit for saving the WNBA star. I got the credit with the client, which is what mattered the most. And I didn't know why that mattered. I just liked helping her, and yeah. I liked doing the right thing because it felt good. I went home, I felt fulfilled, and the amount of referral and just business I got after that was so cool because how she felt was what impacted her. It, it wasn't. You know, the, the car's great, all those things. Yeah. But it was the fact that she was in a tight spot and someone else that didn't have to cared. And you took care and of her. And did the right thing. And, and you took, took care, care of her. her. You're yeah. a man of integrity. Yeah. He's like, no, we're going to make this right. And you did it. Yeah. So and, that and goes a long in way. that organization, that organization really did go above and beyond in a lot of situations. But there always has to be a voice yep. that says this is the right thing to do. I love you know, that. that. That's so that. true. Yeah. And it's so, missed right now in business and just in society in general, I think. Yeah. More people yeah. need to do that. I love it. Well, let's take you a little bit further. I, I'm loving this, Daryl, by the way. There's so many little nuggets. Like, I hope people are listening and taking notes because I'm learning. Like, holy crap, I'm not doing that right. I'm not doing that right. It's, it's your, your, just your candor and your authenticity is so amazing. And I see it like I can, I, I'm, I'm understanding you more now than I ever have been before. And I know you pretty well. Yeah. So it's we pretty, this is, yeah, this is awesome, man. Yeah. Well, take it. I mean, you transitioned from there, you got married, you know, and, and lovely kids, amazing kids. And you went into real estate. Yeah. And now you're, you're currently in real estate. Talk us through that. Why real estate? Like, why did you, why, why are you making these transitions so many times in your life is kind of what I want to go through. Yeah. So I went and I had a couple companies um, between uh, the Larry H. Miller Group. I worked for Intermountain. I worked for the Ralph Lauren Corporation, which was an international corporation. Both of those companies 
had periods in 2008 and 2012 where I got laid off. So yeah. these were companies that I had done sales, produced, done all these things. And in a lot of my sales jobs, there were times where you just had to produce mm-hmm. for the sake of producing, keep lights on, things like that. And as I'm raising my family, I thought, I want health care. I want... um I want stability. I want some of these things, right? Yeah. I want stability. So I, you know, I pick a couple companies like um, IHC and and Ralph Lauren was international. It was one of the top clothing brands at the time. And I'm like, this is long term. This will provide security. Mm-hmm. The irony is those are the two companies that laid me off. <laughs> Great severance. And, um, I mean, you know, I could never, I could never knock, uh, Ralph Lauren. I still wear it every single day. I've been wearing it my whole life. I think it's the only thing in your closet. If you see me without a pony on my shirt, it's pretty rare. I Uh, think the happiest time I've seen you is in the Ralph Lauren store down in Vegas when we went, you just had the biggest smile. You didn't even buy anything. You were just, just touching, just just, just walking through like, Ooh, Holding stuff up. Alex, you look good in this. Oh, so I, was like, no, no. I, I love the brand <laughs> and I love the image and like the lifestyle, like the luxury that they, you know, this, this world, it's like my Disneyland, yeah. you know, if, if everybody was polite and gentlemen from Man, back East. They, they should pay you for this little plug. Right yeah, here. <laughs> yeah. Cut the check. Cut the check. Come um, on. <laughs> so yeah, the irony was, was I get laid off um, from, from these two companies and I had always... I had seen really successful people in real estate and I'd had some, some mentors and things like that. And it's, it's a couple weeks before Christmas and you know, they come in and they're like, Hey, we're, we're closing this store and our store had been performing at a huge rate. Like we're getting bonuses and things, but for whatever reason they decide, Hey, we're going to close this store. And I remember thinking this is the second time I've been laid off. I didn't do anything that wasn't over above beyond like I crushed it in any way that I could. And this was out of my control. And why is it that everybody has to lay people off right before Christmas too? It's always, it's always, I mean, why is that? Yeah. I mean, I had until March, they gave me three months, but I mean, I had just got bonused and I'm getting ready to buy my kids a bunch of stuff. (laughs) And two weeks before Christmas, they're like, Hey, first quarter, you're you're gonna go unemployed, I mean, and you're like, on. how am I supposed to enjoy the holidays now? <laughs> you know, and so I, I mean, I don't enjoy the holidays for a myriad of reasons. We can get into another day, but um, I and I think a lot of it is expectation. Yeah. Um, and so I remember deciding, like, I, I had just started um, mirroring and shadowing this um, top agent in the area, and I remember thinking this is my sign, you know? And I, Mm -hmm. I talked to my wife and I was like, Hey, I want to, I want to get in this. And she's like, do it. And she's always been really supportive of you. I've noticed that. I've noticed that with your relationship and what you guys have. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one good thing is, I mean, we've, we've, we've been on assistance with ramen and (laughs) we've, we've been in Hawaii with more than we needed, you know? And so I think that was a good base because you know, she knows me well enough and I'm like, I want to do this. And she knows if I want to do something, I'll do it. Yep. And so, but still having her approval and her having my back is huge. Yep. So I was like, Hey, um, 
you know, I think, I think I'm going to go into real estate. And, you know, when you tell someone, even someone close that you love and trust and all those things, there's always fear that they're going to, they're going to be like, we shouldn't do this. Be careful. And that'll impact you. Yep. It does. And, uh, you know, she's like, do it. She's like, you'll kill it. She's like, you'll make a lot more money than, than you did there. And I was like, okay. And so I started, I started shadowing some agents and, um, I just decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to make, you know, what I want to make and I'm going to do what I want to do in this. And so, um, you know, a few months later I'm, I'm licensed. I finish out my time. You know, I keep all my commitments to the company I'm at. I don't do anything else until the end of March. I help them close the store, all these things, mm-hmm. make sure that I'm leave on great terms. I'm rehirable, all those things. Mm-hmm. I, I still love them. They still love me. Still have tons of friendships from that company. And then I, you know, I, I'm, in the field by May, June, um, after that. And you know, full uh, time, right off the bat, full time, just well, both feet. One thing I love about it though, is look at all the experience you gained all the way from 14 to prep you for a career in real estate, selling real estate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. now listening to where I, there's no wonder why you are so successful in real estate from your past. I mean, yeah, when I got in real estate, and they're like, "There's cold calling, there's door knocking." There's, You're like, "I've done that." I've yeah, done that. there's there's that listing, there's mirroring matching. <laughs> like when I was in these, and you know, even though I had all that experience, I think um, for me, something that always helped me stay sharp is like in sales and in customer service. The more I learn, the less I know. Mm-hmm. Is, is kind of oh, that's true. Like the more I learn, the less I know. Like, you know, when I have friends that are like, man, you keep doing coaching, you keep going into seminars, you keep doing things. Um, you know, I really try to stay frosty and like sharp with people mm-hmm. because I think experience can also be like a big hindrance in helping people. Um, some of the biggest mistakes I've made in real estate is thinking that I know what's next because I've done this. And, yep. you know, um, after having a few years of really good success, I did some of the dumbest mistakes with clients of thinking I knew what they wanted or expecting, or, you know, falling into uh, buyers or liars. And I always hated that when people are like, Oh, buyers are liars. They'll tell you what they want. And then they'll go and buy something completely different. And I'm like, then we didn't do you didn't ask enough questions. We didn't ask enough questions. We didn't understand, you know, we didn't, you know, tell me more about that. We didn't do any of that. Again, communication's and 80% listening. Communication. 80% listening. Yeah. You got to communicate, communicate, mm-hmm. communicate, over communicate. Um, and so I just realized uh, my experience really catapulted me in a lot of ways. And then my experience in real estate I always needed to start fresh with every client because, you know, there's always an instance where you're wrong. So I had a a colleague, we're at lunch the other day, and he just double-sided an enormous deal. So, you know, you talk about it at lunch, decompress, and he's telling me, he's like, yeah, so I got a call. And this guy is like, hey, I'm an agent from Florida. I'm showing my dad a house here. I'm showing my dad homes here. And, you know, I saw your place. And so immediately I'm like laughing in my head. I'm like, if someone calls me and is like, I'm an agent from another market, I'm just here. I'm not licensed in your area, yeah. but I'm showing my dad homes because I want to be involved in some facet. We're yeah. going to shop around, uh, you know, all these things. I'm like red flags mm-hmm. because 
I've wasted so much time with people in similar situations and, you know, and he's like, Hey, I just want to get in and see some homes. And you're like, Oh, this guy is probably going to waste go my time. unrepresented. Yep. His son's going to give him all the advice. I'm not going to get right. I'm like, as he's talking, I'm telling myself all these things. And then he's like, so anyway, I show this guy, this house, he buys this huge property. I'm the listing agent and the buyer's agent. And the other agent comes to me and is like, yeah, just split something with me. And I'm like, He's like, this is the biggest contract I've done. And, and this is a great agent of like 20 years. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, good for you for not letting your experience. So how many people would have hung up or not taken that serious or not gone out and shown that guy? Home I would have done the not, same thing you had. I was like, oh, crap. Another one. Another one. Another like, one. Another guy that thinks he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's our experience working against us. That's that's powerful right there experience can work against you if you're not sharp and i was like dude you were hungry that Mm -hmm. was like first time agent hungry do you remember when you're a first time agent and you get that call and you're like dude i don't care if i'm wasting my time like i'm in front of someone i'm talking to someone i am in the field i'm showing homes your experience that you were going to gain was worth more than the commission at the time and i was like you did like something a new agent would do and you got a vetted agent contract because a new agent would probably not have the knowledge or ability to sell that giant property, double end it, do all these things. Like you went through everything smooth that they needed, but you entered it with just a fresh mindset. Well, they put the people first. They didn't judge them. They didn't read a book by its cover. They didn't use their past experiences. They weren't focused on how much they were going to make. Yeah. They put the person first. Yeah. They were like, Oh, you called, you need help. Sure. I'll come out. I'll help you. I love I, I love the the fact too that 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 how you are and you're like I was saying before your composure and who you are. There's no reason there, there's a reason why you're so successful in sales. I mean, you are the epitome of what it means to be a people person. You love people. You love helping people and serving people. But I do want to hit on. I mean, we've been talking forever. I love it. Yeah. You know, I I, I do want to hit on your true passion though. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you're a comedian. Yeah. That's one thing I was talking to Keisha last night about, Hey, I've got Daryl. I actually, a couple of days ago when I asked you, I got Daryl coming on the podcast. I'm so excited. And one thing she says, she's like, I love hanging out with him. I'm always laughing. You always, and it's so true. Like when we're out doing stuff, we, we do quite a bit of stuff together now, yeah. vacations. You always have people laughing. Yeah. And that is your true passion. That, that without a doubt is, is one of my favorite things in the world is to see people laugh and, and have a good time and lighten up. Um, you know, I, how long have you loved comedy? As long as I can remember. Why has it been until now that you've decided to pursue that journey in your life? Because you are pursuing it. Like, I want to bring that out. I, yeah. I, I'm going to hold you. Like I said, I'm holding you accountable. Yeah. You know, I'm helping yeah. you out. But, um, I, I don't know if I was ever honest to myself about how much I loved it. You interesting. Know, like, and, and I don't know if I ever felt I had a position in my life or the resources to, to enjoy it. You know, like yeah. you look at, you look at someone in a comedy realm or you look and there's these journeys and hurdles and things. And I think it was really easy for me to, um, enjoy people, make them laugh all the time, you know, really feel weightless when people laugh around, kind of treat it as a hobby. 
Yeah. More than. And, and, but I mean, there's never going to be an instance where I enjoy a heavy conversation over, and I enjoy a heavy conversation, but over letting people just forget for a moment of their life and just laugh and enjoy. And if I can get people to laugh and have a good time, I just feel weightless. I mean, I absolutely feel like I brought extreme value into their lives. I have brought something to them that they can take away. They can look back. I mean, I'll do something stupid. I'll laugh at myself. Um, you know, <laughs> in, in the chance that when they're having a bad day, maybe they can look at that and be like, Oh my God, dude, Daryl's an idiot. You know, like that was one of the stupidest things I've ever seen. Or this was one of the funniest conversations I've ever had about, you know, this or that. And, um, and I think, you know, really working on myself, because like I said, the more I learn, the less I feel like I know. Yeah. And over the last two years, I've had a ton of personal growth and you've seen it. Um, you've been witness to things that, you know, there would be instances where, you know, I'll make, um, a good living, make you know, have some huge months or whatever, and and you you go through business planning and you have all these benchmarks like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on this vacation, I'm gonna buy this, I'm gonna do these things, and I've done that for so long, and you know, honestly, there were times where it, it wasn't fulfilling for me, and everybody's different. Yeah, but it was a means to an end to pay the bills and, and to take care of your family. Yeah, but it's not your true passion, right? And that's why I want to hit on this. It's yeah. like you are damn good at sales. Yeah, like honestly, if if there's people out there that are watching this and you implement half of what you're talking about about communication, about customer service, and just your experiences of what you've done, being proactive, wildly successful. They're going to be. I mean, they just implement half of that. Yeah, but that's th that's not what excites you. No, no, I, I absolutely have always loved being, you know, customer based, enjoying people, um, helping and bringing some value, I think is what, yeah. what made me a great salesman is I love helping people and bringing service and seeing them accomplish something. And when I started diving deeper and deeper, you know, what do you want, you know, and what's so hard is as a husband, as a father, as, you know, a provider, a lot of times we're just not as selfish as we need to be in what we want to get out of life. Yeah. You know, because it's pretty easy what we need to get out of life. I need to have a decent home. I need to make sure that I can provide at a level that is comfortable. You know, you have these things that you have to do if, you know, if, if you want to be in that, uh, in that category. And, you know, a lot of times that is projected on us as if you check all these boxes, that's happiness. Yeah. You know, if, if you have a house and two cars and a dog and you go on a couple of vacations a year, then why aren't you happy? You know, this is happiness. Well, and happiness and fulfillment are two totally different things. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I want to make that point. It's like, yeah, that you, that will make you happy and happiness is a choice as well. Sure. So you can be happy doing that, but how many times and how often do people fall in that, that box that society puts them in? Like, Hey, this is, you got a family. This is what you got to do. You got to provide. Yeah. And you know, it's a learned trait sales, learn trait. You learned to master that art. Yeah. You've done really well, but does it really fulfill you? Yeah. 
And so I, I'm, and do you feel like that's what you were put here to do? Exactly. And, and it's your true purpose in life. I mean, that's yeah. why I wanted to hit on this like purpose driven podcast. This is why I do it. I get asked all the time. Yeah. Why do you do this damn show? Like people love it. I'm getting great feedback. I love doing it. And to be honest with you, yes, I want to inspire and touch at least one. If I can help one person make a difference in their life, this is a success. It's yeah. worth it. But more importantly, I'm just so curious to know like what drove, what, what drives people to do what they do. And Daryl, I don't think you realize when we sat down with you and you told me what you wanted to do and your new pursuit that you have, like I felt it like, holy crap, this is who Daryl is. Yeah. Because that energy that you brought was like, damn, he knows he finally, he knows now. Yeah. And when did you realize and accept it that that was your path? Um, so I've been told, you know, you get told and, and people will, people will tell you a lot about yourself. Mm -hmm. You can get told anything, but like I've always said, you got to find out for yourself. Yeah. You got to be selfish. And yeah, when I was selfish and I looked at what I enjoyed doing and when I enjoyed the, there was a lot of times I would receive compliments and receive people like, dude, you're one of the funniest people I know. Dude, I love being around you. Like, dude, you got me splitting up. Like, and I've been told multiple times, like, you should get into stand up, dude, you, sh you need to do comedy. You need to, yeah, you need to get into these things. And sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear people compliment you. you yeah. Know? Because so, it puts you on a pedestal. Now you have expectations. There's expect, there's their expectation. Well, you think their expectations from them, but who's actually drawing those expectations? It's yourself. Oh, it, my, they, my they, expectations they is I want them to laugh 24 seven, Exactly. where if I could get them to laugh an hour, they'd probably be content. My expectation is like the full 24. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I just felt weightless what really in all of the coaching that I've done. And I looked at it and I was like, what do I want to do? It took me, it took me a few years to really narrow down and figure out I, I want to go in and I want to make people laugh. I want them to, I want to give them something that they can take away with their day. And a big factor of it was having the ability to do it without it being monetary right off the bat. Yep. Like it's, it's, well, it's not about the money to you. No, no. That when you talk about fulfillment, I know I can make money and support my life and do these things, but what I love and what I really want to do is just give somebody a part of their day that they walk away with and they're like, dude, that I was better for it, you know, and mm -hmm. I can't do that in a lot of other ways. But what I can do is, you know, the content that I'm going to be putting out and the things that I'm going to be working on and even just the stand up, whether I, um, you know, kill it or just bomb the growth pattern that I'm going to have there is really what I'm looking forward to. Does really it scare excited you? to do. Yeah, dude, this is honestly, it's, it's terrifying to, um, just like even, even the stand up aspect is, is really terrifying. Like the failure is, is absolutely terrifying behind it. Like enough that, um, it almost makes me want to shy away. Like that. It's, it's one of the scariest aspects of, of everything is, um, knowing what you love. And I think there's genuine fear behind that mm -hmm. because it's, it's really scary identifying what you love doing. I think it's, I think that's why most people don't pursue 
what they truly, their true passions are is because you have to get uncomfortable to figure it out. I think yeah. that's so interesting when, I mean, it's same, same thing for, I think it's for everybody. Like you listen to anybody that's ever spoken about, man, I really want to pursue this, but I got to do this, 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 and I got to have to do this, 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 I got to get in front of people. You know, I got to be on camera. This scares the shit out of me, to be yeah. honest with you. I am so out of my element doing even stuff like this, but once I'm in it, I love it. Yeah. Like I, I absolutely love it. And so, but it's that leap that you have to take at first, that decision, like I'm going to do this. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to hit on that one. When, when you came into the office, like I figured it out, I'm doing this. Yeah. Just that light, like you weren't uncomfortable telling me what you were going to do. No. You know? And that's yeah. one thing I love about it is once you make the decision to do it, you just got to take the actions and actions help you get more clear. Yeah. Yeah. Once, once I decided this is what I want to do and, and where I want to go, just even the mental decision of admitting to myself that that's what I want to do was incredible. It was, yeah. it was a real game changer. So we'll see, you know, we'll, we'll see where it takes. And, um, you know, something that gives me comfort is, you know, I've been funny my whole life. That's not going to stop just because I've decided <laughs> to do this, you know, and, uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever success it brings, isn't going to be measured in the beginning. Um, it's really just a journey and, and it's just going to be a joy to do like being able to, to bring people just a part of their day that they can take away, laugh, enjoy, like that's, that's going to be the fun of it. And, you know, hopefully just lighten people up because especially in today's society with everything that's going on, we need it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think most of the stuff that has changed in our culture and things like that, I, I make fun of it all the time. Like you're around me and <laughs> I make fun of just about everything in the world because I think most of it's funny, whether it's, you know, things that other people don't want to talk about or, you know, even our industry, we laugh and um, laugh at things. And I'm probably the most self-loathing Utah, you know, Mormon that you'll meet. And I think being more critical on ourselves and what we have and uh, making fun of our own cultures and, um, you know, just, just lighting things up really. I, I think it's a way through growth too, is, you know, something that I took away my entire life is my family. We laugh at pain. I mean, we will roast the hell out of each other, you know, and, and, you know, you see us at the office. I mean, me and my closest buddies, we roast each other oh, yeah. because I think one of the funniest things, one of the best things we can do in life is laugh at our, at our failures. You can laugh at your shortcomings. Um, if you can laugh at, you know, what life's throwing at you, it's the easiest way to get over it. You know, I, I just I think that's that. the best therapy is if we can just laugh at, you know, what's going on and what's going And it also, you know, on a certain level, I think, um, you know, I think it stirs emotions and thoughts that you wouldn't have. I think it really will help people open minds. You know, I've always thought comedy, there'll be comedians that have completely different beliefs than me, yep. but you know, when they come to the table and, and they joke about something that I disagree with, I'm like, oh, I kind of see their side of it now to like, you know, maybe I am being stupid, you know, maybe I am being closed minded maybe I haven't opened that up. And, um, that's, that's another goal and something that I really love doing. And I think a reason why I really love comedy is being able to open people's minds, you know, get them to get along. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than, 
you know, the last couple of years when you have friends that don't want to be friends on Facebook or don't want to go to lunch with someone or, you know, don't want to do something. And for me, I'm like, why, you know, why? And they're like, well, they, you know, they want to talk about this or they want to do that, or this is how they feel. And, you know, I can honestly say I haven't lost any friends in the last three years yeah. of, of everything going on with everything that's going on. In fact, I've tried to shorten my lunches to four or five or less <laughs> So that I can have a meaningful conversation (laughs) or joke because when I'm at lunch, you know, and you get eight people at a table and there's two or three conversations, I'm like, man, how is this fun for everyone? You know, and I, I really like getting to know people. I love, I love time with my friends. I love hearing them on the phone. I think I might be one of the only people that still leaves people voicemails. And if, you know, if you're one of my close friends, you know that you get singing voicemails, you get stupid voicemails, um, you know, and I've yet to get a singing one. Yeah, you haven't I got mean, a singing on, one. Man. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? It's it's got to be a special environment. And you'll get one, <laughs> and it's because I know all my friends hold the, on to them. Yep. And there may be one day that you know those I re- all. I wish I had exposed. one. I would play it right yeah. here. I would play yeah, it. Yeah. So this I, is it. I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, my friends will get uh, these voicemails and they save them, and you know, I get stupid stuff on my birthday sent back to me, and I'm oh, like, oh yeah, and I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I and love so. It, man. Yeah, I'm I'm excited uh, excited to get out. Just you know, uh, and you're definitely getting uncomfortable. And you told me your plan. I mean, you got yeah. goals to go to New York. Yeah, I mean, you've already made the contacts to do it. You're like, I'm going all in, and that's one thing I love about it is yeah. you made the decision. You're going all in. Yeah, I'm. You know, for the next year um, that I'm building content, I mean, I'm going I'm going to some pretty some pretty gnarly places where mm-hmm. people get. You know, they get their ass booed off the stage, <laughs> and I'm gonna take that chance because I'm just like, oh, yeah, uh, it's you gotta, you, know. you gotta just bring up honestly, you're gonna get people rolling just when you say you're a half a hoe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The yeah. first time you told me that, yeah. I was rolling, I was like, oh my gosh, did you really just say that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you really just called yourself that, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think it'll, it'll be fine, it'll be a learning curve, and you know, you go up, you try to make people laugh. If you don't, who cares? You know, I, I'll be better for it. Honestly, you know, and the more genuine um, you are up there, the, the better you're going to be because yeah. you're just genuinely funny guy. Yeah. So and, I love and, it. And I think people are going to enjoy it. I think they're going to have a good time. I think there's, um, in the content and, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've been writing and doing, I'm just really excited about because I think I just have a lot of perspective that, that is going to be, you know, just people to enjoy. And, um, you know, if you've been to lunch with me and, you know, you've been in my circle, you know, that, you know, I have a different perspective on things that I just want people to enjoy and, and have fun. And, uh, yeah, if we can get them to, to crack up, that's going to be, that's going to be a good time. Well, I guarantee it's going to happen. I'm going to be there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be at your show. So you, you let us know where, well, I mean, we've been talking for a long time, man. Yeah. So where can people find you? Like I want to, I want to, expand your group your network you know yeah. so where can people find you man well you know you instagram social I've, media I've, I've got a little instagram you know you, this year i'm gonna you gotta step that up i'll step it up a little bit okay. you know i think it'll organically grow i keep my social media pretty small intentionally because i'm still just a firm believer on face-to-face and phone calls okay so a lot of my friends they hear from me all the time yeah you know and on the phone Text message is probably my least favorite form of communication. Um, 
and uh you're an old school heart i'm just an old school like i want to go to lunch with you um i have lunch every day i have lunch with different friends every day Mm -hmm. i go out all the time um and so social media my only my only reservation is that it is an excuse not to interpersonal communicate with your friends it's an excuse not to call them you can message them on there you can snap them um and so however it does cast a wider net and i do love people to to contact me so this year my wife's like now we're uploading more on your stuff we're going to start sharing more because the other aspect that i always didn't feel genuine with is we have a great life you know me and my wife travel a lot we get a we go out to eat and, and do cool things. And I get to interact with so many fun people all the time. And I genuinely, sometimes I feel guilty or like I'm trying to show off on those things. And I also don't know how to share the other real aspects that we're going through on social media. Like, you know, my son yesterday getting his wisdom teeth out, saying a bunch of stupid stuff. Like, you know, (laughs) if it was me, I would just be wide open. And so you don't know how much you want to share what you want to do. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to be doing that. So what's your handle? Daryl, the gentleman, Daryl, the gentleman, Daryl, the gentleman. <laughs> and oh, I'm the only one with it. So oh, you got to spell my first name, right? And I'm Daryl, the gentleman on Instagram. I love you, that. you find me on there. I'm just Daryl knock on Facebook. And, uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be doing a little bit of podcast stuff as I, I collect uh, relationships with fellow comedians and stuff. So yep. we're going to be hanging at the Hogan with Daryl. Oh, I and, love it. Uh, I love and it. And it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty <laughs> funny time and we're going to have a good time with that. But yeah, I, you know, I'm going to open up those pages and, and get a little bit more content going as we go along. But this year it's going to be um, some pretty fun trips and uh, purpose oriented around them. You know, yep. it's not just going to New York to, you know, have a phenomenal steak or things like that. It's uh, I'm going to head out to New York, maybe get my ass beat on this stage, you know, and boot <laughs> at for, you know, just walking up and talking about stupid things that Utahns do, you know, and uh, what we have going on out here. And I'll, I'll probably hit uh, Vegas a couple times uh, with a purpose out there. So um, Austin, they have a couple podcasts for amateurs that I'd like to get on down there. And so as I get that, you know, I'm just going to be collecting footage and and doing things and, um, well, just enjoy the the beginning. And I'm glad we had you on before you're like ultra famous and everything (laughs) like that. I mean, we've got you here. I can say, I knew that guy. Yeah. I was one of his first podcasts. (laughs) So well, that'd be awesome. Oh, I love it, man. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for this time. Honestly, I yeah. love you, brother. I love you, bro. And I can't wait to see your journey and where you're going and just being I'm a fun. part of it. Like, yeah. thank you for let, allowing me to be a part of it. Oh, Consider you a great I'm... friend, great brother. So, yeah. Um, Thanks for yeah. having me. This Anytime, was uh, man. this was amazing, man. I just love being able to to marinate and just have conversations about things. Get uh... it just takes you back. I mean, look at all the all those memories that you're like brought back and it made me understand a lot more of you and just how you are, who you are. I mean, you've got an amazing life. And one thing I love about, and I tell this to multiple people on this is that's just the first chapter, bro. Yeah. We've got a lot of time. I mean, I can't wait for your second chapter of listening to how you got booed off the the main (laughs) stage. And I can't wait till I have you back on and we talk about that. Yeah. I've got a lot of failure. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm really excited (laughs) to hear about that. So, so again, Uh, make fun of your failure. Yeah. I've I've got a lot of failure in front of me. I've had a lot of failure behind me. So yeah, I'm just going to keep it up. Well guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, um, for tuning in again. 
If you can share, share, that's the best thing we, we ask for. Share this episode. Um, love to get the name out. Purpose Driven Podcast. Um, appreciate it, guys. Peace. Cool.